I'm going to leave the scene. He's going to preach tonight. No. I have a couple announcements about the sick that you'll want to know. Bill Davis is here with us. He's sitting near the back. He's with his brother, James Davis, who lives on Highway 69. He has cancer, and, and hospice is with him. And you all remember the Davises. They attended here for several years, but you know their family. And so I uh, just want you to know that, and we'll be praying ab- about them. And um, <clears throat> we need to make sh- uh, sure that Don Doran knows about that. He, uh, he's not here tonight. Also, Alan Doran's grandson... Cassie's little boy, AJ, okay, uh, was had a bicycle accident today and broke his collarbone, and so they're not here tonight. They're uh, at Jackson at the hospital. So I wanted you to remember those in our prayer, and I'm, I didn't have time to get them to. Good evening. Our opening song will be 878, Sweet By and By. Following the singing of this song, we'll be led in prayer. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall sing on that beautiful shore the melodious songs of the blessed, and our spirit shall sorrow no more. Not a sigh for the blessing of rest in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore to our bountiful Father above. We will offer our tribute of praise glorious gifts of His love and the blessings that hallow our days in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Please bow with me and pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you tonight, lifting your name above all names, Father. For we know that you are the Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings, Father.
and you are the great physician, Father. There are many amongst us that are having health issues at this time, Father. Many that are going through tests and will have surgery in the following weeks, Father. We just ask that you lift them up as only you can, Father. Tonight we especially pray for Sean White as he will be having neck surgery this week, Father. Guide the surgeon's hands and the people that will be taking care of him, Father. Comfort him as only you can, Father. Also, Father... James Davis, which is struggling with cancer, Father. There are many amongst us and many around us that have this terrible disease, Father, and we just pray that they can find the peace coming from you, Father, the the peace that surpasses all understanding during this time, Father. Also, Alan Dorn's grandson who had the bicycle wreck today, Father, we just ask that bring him back and uh, to his normal walks of life soon, Father. Father, as we sing praises to you tonight, we read from your word and we hear the message, Father. We just open, we open our hearts and our minds to your word. Put all those things from outside away, Father, and open up so we can clearly understand and take your word to others, Father. Father, as we go out through this week, Father, let's, let's be guiding lights for everyone, Father, let everyone see Jesus in us and everything that we say and we do, Father. And as we go through this service, Father, I just hope everything's done in your will. And, Father, we just ask that we have a great week. We become closer to you and closer to other Christians and bring others to you. In Christ's name we humbly pray. Amen. Before Jim brings us the message, we'll sing number 745, Humble Yourself. If it's convenient, won't you stand as we sing? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. And He will lift you up. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and He died for us, and He died for us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like me. When we've been there 10,000 years, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, bright shining as the sun. So humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up, and He Please be seated. Well, good evening to you tonight. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of James as we're continuing our study in the book of James. There are several slides um, uh, back there in the control room that uh, you can just show those slides for a few seconds about war and peace, and that's what we're talking about uh, tonight. But before I, I begin, and you can go back and show them again if I don't get there, it, open, your, open your Bibles to the book of James, please, with me tonight. And let's, let's, let's just review very quickly. The letter of James is a practical book. It was, it was written to us to tell us that you can live the Christian life and to remind us of some very important practical things. And so he starts out in James 1 as, as, by talking about true religion. And in and, and, and the first half of James 1, he talks about that true religion is evidenced by patience in temptation, in tribulation. You know you're serving the Lord. You know you're faithful to him. That when difficult things come, that you don't just throw it all away. You hang in there. The second half of that is, is, it, taught, is it teaches us that, that true religion is evidenced by conduct. People are truly Christians. They don't say one thing and do another. They are consistent. They do what they say. Their works show what they believe in their heart. James chapter 2, James starts talking about true faith. And he tells us in the first half of the chapter that true faith is evidenced by impartiality. You know, there's so much, as we'll talk about it, conflict going on. But real Christians, they, they don't care what color you are. They don't care how much money you have or you don't have. It, it, they're impartial. Uh, they don't care if you're young or if you're old. And if your life is lived like that, then it's, it's a sign of your maturity, that you, you are tr a true Christian. And then finally, um, it, true uh, faith is evidenced by what you do. Um, uh, Lynn, um, uh, what you call it, the counselor, has this saying that words are kind of like monopoly money. When you're dealing with people and trying to help them, they, they can talk and talk and talk and talk. But until people begin changing their life, all the talk in the world doesn't mean anything. What makes a difference is, when, is, is by what people do. When people start changing what they do, it's evidence that they have real faith. And, and then in chapter 3, the first part of that chapter says that true faith is evidenced by words. You can tell somebody with real faith just by how they talk, by what they say and what they don't say. And then as we're continuing James chapter 4, he starts talking about true wisdom. And, and the last time we looked at James, we looked at there's, there's true wisdom of, that comes from God's word and there's a false wisdom that comes from the world. And so... A lot of people in the world, they get those two confused. And sometimes as Christians we do. But true wisdom comes from the, from the Word of God. And our study tonight is, is, is war and peace, the, the cure for conflict. Because James tells us that true wisdom tells us that friendship with the world is something that's going to cause us a lot of problems. James chapter 4, beginning verse 1. What causes wars? And what causes fightings among you? 
Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? You desire and you do not have, so you kill. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Notice, James takes the gloves off here. Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is in vain that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit which he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Notice the cure for a lot of our problems. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Notice, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Which is one of the songs that we so often sing. Well, notice, James starts talking about... What is it that causes conflict? I'll tell you one of the things that causes conflict for all of us, and that's suffering, isn't it? I mean, you just, you just think tonight, just a child breaks a collarbone. What does that do to your family? Well, the parents got to go. The grandparents got to go. You got to find somewhere to put the rest of the kids. Suffering causes conflict. Paul, is, as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes a whole chapter talking about the suffering that he endured. Why? Because it caused him so much conflict. When you read Paul writing to Timothy, he reminds Timothy of the tears that Timothy shed at Lystra when they tried to stone Paul to death. Well, guess what? When they thought they'd kill Paul and drug him out of the city and left him for dead, can you imagine what he looked like, his body? Listen, the Lord healed him instantly. And it says that Paul got up and walked away. Now, wait a minute. Lord, you remember when they stoned me and they tried to kill me and you healed me? And now I've got this thorn in the flesh that I can't serve you. And I've prayed to you three times about it. I couldn't even pray about you healing me. Lord, I thought I was dead and never coming back. I thought it was going to be with you. And now I've got this suffering and I've prayed to you three times about it. And you say that your grace is sufficient for me. One of the things that causes us conflict is suffering. It did for Job. Caused problems between him and his wife, for sure. Caused problems between him and his friends. Suffering causes so much conflict in our life. And the suffering of getting older. Anybody here know anything about that? Listen, when Mikey and Nancy and, and, and Silas and Harley Blake left today, I needed to call somebody to help me get back in the house. I thought if they stay here another hour, I'm not going to be able to get them in that van and out of here. You know what I mean? You know, suffering causes conflict. Enjoy, doesn't it? Jesus' disciples, suffering caused them a lot of conflict. John chapter 9, here's a man that was born blind and the disciples turned to Jesus and said, who sinned that this man should be born blind? His parents or did he do it? And Jesus said, that's not at all the case. Another thing that causes conflict is people. Is that not right? 
I mean, most of the problems that we have every day in life is people. And, it's, it's, it, it, and a lot of times, it's not from people that we don't like, usually. It's usually a lot of our conflicts is caused from people that we love. People in our own family, people that are close to us. Well, why do people cause so many conflicts? Because they're free. They're free. I mean, you can raise them, you can train them, you can teach them. But they're free and they will make their own decisions and they will live their own life. And the freedom that we have as individuals causes conflicts. Parents divorce. Why? Because they're free to mess up their lives and their marriages and free to mess up the lives of their children. And then our own personal conflicts. Why am I not stronger than I am? Why am I not better than I am? Uh, Another thing that causes conflict for us is injustice. I don't know about you, but I go to Nigeria, those people don't have anything. You know, they, when they ask you for money, they ask you for like $25,000. They think we got closets with money. Why? Because they think we're so wealthy. How do you explain that to them, buddy? I explain to them by telling them how much my utility bill is. I explain how much my electric bill is. It's more than they make in three months just to pay the electricity. Then they begin to sense that. But I wonder, is it because we are so much better and nicer than the Nigerians? Nope. They're some of the sweetest, nicest people that I have ever met. Why is it that they have to live? Why do people have to live in countries like that with governments like that? There's so much injustice in the world and it causes conflict it's in the bible you read genesis 37 through 50 about the life of joseph i mean this is a fine young man why did he have to suffer for 20 years why did his brothers hate him because he just told them the dream and they all knew the dreams came from god why did they hate him like that why did one of the finest men that we read about not one bad thing is said about joseph in his life and so i remember jim bill mcintyre saying he reminds you of jesus Why did they want to kill Jesus like they did? Injustice. Injustice. And then there's those reoccurring and unresolved problems. I mean, it's easier for us to quote Romans 8, verse 28. All things work together for the good of those who love God and call according to his purpose. But why is it sometimes that it's so hard to wait for things to work out? And why is it that you can't see them working out? And why is it that people are trying to do well sometimes? have to face such difficulties. Well, these are the conflicts that James saw in the book of James. In James 2, 1 through 9, he talked about there was a conflict between the rich and the poor. You know, in in Savannah, Tennessee, you know, we have a lot of middle class people. You know, we don't have so much a bunch of people that are filthy rich and other people that are just raggedly poor. And that may be changing somewhat, But we don't have that conflict. James 5, 1 through 6, there was a conflict between servants and masters. The same conflicts that we have today between employees and employers. You know, if you employ people, you have to hire people, but then sometimes you have to fire people. And one of the hardest things that you will ever do in your life is to fire somebody. You know, I almost ask you to raise your hands, but I don't want anybody to hit you in the back of the head for firing somebody. But one of the hardest things that you will ever have to do in your life if you run a business and you're a good person is to tell somebody, I'm sorry. 
we can't use you anymore. There, there's conflicts in the church. James sees that in James 1, 19 through 23, 13 through 18. You know, there's a conflict in doctrine and a conflict in practice. There's a conflict about the way people, Christians, talk to each other. And then James 4, 11 through 12, there's personal wars, conflicts with people. And so James saw all those things, and he wants to tell us about how you solve these conflicts. Well, he tells us that the ultimate source of our conflict is our own lust. Notice James 4, 1 through 2. What causes wars and fightings among you? Is it not your passions that are war in your members? You know, a lot of times we would all like to blame our problems on somebody else. But most of the time, the conflicts that we have in our lives are the result of our own selves. Is that not right? I mean, we'd like to say, oh, it's always them. But a lot of times it's us. I've done a lot of study in personality, and I've decided I got the worst personality you can have out of, out of the ones. And so, I mean, naturally, I already know if I show up, there's 25% of the people there that are not going to like me because of my personality. And my personality causes conflicts. And when you get on the extreme that I am in personality, and you get Eddie Harden, who's on the other extreme for me, I mean, it's difficult because I just want it done, and Eddie wants to do it right. Okay, so immediately, if Eddie and I work together, there's going to be more conflict than people who are closer together. Well, a lot of times, it's, it's my own problem that causes, and it is you, too. In, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Peter says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. I mean, a lot of times, we, do, we don't want to admit that it's my own problem. I'm the problem. J uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 23 to 25, Paul talks about this war that's going on. There's a war in the world between good and evil, but there's this war that we fight, Paul says, in our very bodies. Isn't that right? You know, uh, uh, do you remember a time in your life that you, could, that you never thought about what you ate or how much of it you ate? you remember those days? For me... Now, everything that I want to eat, Shirley says, you're not supposed to eat that. Does your wife do How many of you husbands, your wife tells you that? It's, the only thing worse would be if you had a husband telling your wife that all the time. You're not supposed to eat that. Well, there's this constant fight that goes on in our, in our own physical bodies. Isn't that right? I mean, there's a war. Our, you know, you, you want to live, but it's sometimes you're fighting with your own self. And, 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 and so he talks about this war. He says, you know, I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me in captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Notice Paul's cry. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? You know, we go into the jail and we got some people here that have been addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol. And I got news for you. If you're an addict, you fight a constant battle between your mind and your body. And sometimes it takes control of your life for a long time. And trying to get away from that takes unbelievable control and takes unbelievable planning. And we got some people who could stand up tonight and tell you about that fight that they have to fight. Maybe, and maybe it's a fight that you and I have never even known or don't know anything about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 to 27, Paul says, Therefore I run, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it in subje subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, when I was younger, 
I can remember things I used to say in the pulpit. I can remember hammering people. I remember at Echo Meadows one Sunday I preached a sermon. I had 50 people in the church respond to it. But you know, I'm older now. And I'm grateful when I was young I could say things like that and get people to respond. But you know, now I have more empathy for people. And so I'm grateful that there are younger preachers that say those things. Because of the older that I get, the more understanding I have for the struggles that people face in their life. Paul said, I must discipline myself. And I would say that we all have to learn that. You know, you can't say sometimes what you really would like to say. You can't do sometimes what you would really like to do because you serve the Lord. And you must say and do what the Lord wants you to say and do. What else causes conflict? Notice James 4 and verse 4. Our our friendship with the world. Our friendship with the world. That's a battle that young people fight every day. And, And if you're older and you have forgotten about that battle, remember that your children and your grandchildren, that our young people fight that battle every day. I can remember growing up the friends that I might have had if I would have gone and done the things that they did. You know, and, and I didn't do it. I had to make a choice. And I lost some friends. And they were, they were, you know, pretty nice people. But, you know, when you decide you're going to be friends with the world, you can, get, you can find yourself into a lot, of, a lot of problems. When I talk with the men in the jail, that's the first thing that we talk about. Isn't that right, Thomas? When you get out of there, you cannot go and be with the people that you were with before. If you want to live a life like Thomas has had to live, you're going to have to separate yourself from all the people that you were with before. And you're going to have to live a different kind of life. And Thomas has got some great stories. You know, he went to see his mother and all of a sudden all those people that he had been with that caused him to spend years because of his weaknesses, he realized, I got to get out of here. He didn't have a car. He didn't drive there. So what did he do? He called Scott Smotherman on the phone. He said, Scott, come get me. I got to get out of here. Scott says, well, give me your address. He said, you don't need to know the address. He said, you just be driving on, on your way to Selmer, and you'll see me walking back to Savannah. Now, notice what James says. You want to be friends with the world? It could cost you your soul. It could cost you your family. And so James says a lot of our conflicts are just from that. And Roy and, and Albert and Mark and all of us that go in there and talk to these men in the jail, you know, they're so excited. They say, well, Mr. Chamberlain, I'm going to get out this week. Well, the first thing I ask is like, well, is there somebody that's going to pick you up? Do you have a place to go? Do you have a meal to eat? Do you have a place you can spend the night? And they say, yeah, I do. Are you sure? Because Bill thought he did too, didn't you, Bill? He got out at midnight. He had nowhere to go. He had nothing to eat. And by the time we got a hold of him the next day, he'd been 24 hours almost without a meal. Why? Because there's a conflict. Trying to live Christian life. You can't sometimes be friends with the world. And that even causes another conflict, doesn't it? How are we going to save the world if we're not friends with people in the world? So you understand that, that, that conflict that's never going to go away. I mean, if the only people I talk to and do anything with are those who are members of the body of Jesus Christ, am I going to be able to influence people and bring them in? But how many young people thinking and how many thinking, well, I'm going to be an influence on this crowd, ended up being influenced by that crowd. And I'm grateful for the 
young people in our church that have reminded the rest of our young people, I'm grateful where they're at tonight. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise another. You cannot serve God in the world. You know, Judas thought he could. There he was in the presence of Jesus telling him, you can't do it, Judas. You can't do it. And, and Judas is holding Jesus with one hand and the money bag with the other one. And what did he do? He lost them both. At least when he lost Jesus, he decided he didn't want the money that he sold Jesus for. He lost everything. There's a conflict. We've got to deal with those conflicts. Well, let me skip to the, uh, the next slide. Let's skip to the end of this lesson. Because James tells us the three steps to peace. How am I going to have peace? Notice James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. This is what he tells us. Number one, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I, I, I don't think that there's any wiser thing that we could try to tell young people. Listen, when you try to do right and the devil's tempting you, you've got to keep resisting because eventually he will let go of you. We've got people here in our, in our church that were drug addicts, alcoholic addicts. They were addicted to anger. They were addicted to abuse in their lives. And they are free from that now. Well, why? Well, it didn't happen overnight. When they were baptized, they came up. Their sins were washed away. But they, they weren't completely changed. Why? Because they've got to be, they were renewed. They started, but they had to stay on that way. And so what did they have to do? Resist the devil. Finally, he will let, at least let loose of you for a while. That's one of the greatest promises in the Bible. And other people here will tell you. I've been to a lot of AA meetings in my life. And I, I love to go. I love these guys to get up. And the first thing, the guy who's leading the meeting, he'll tell you how long he's been at AA. And how long he's been without a drink. And then he'll start telling you, oh, I still want one. And you know, the first thing they say, which drink is it makes you drunk? Is it the fifth one? No. Well, is it the third one? No. Is it the second one? No. Is it the first one? Everybody says, yes, the first one is the one that makes you a drunk again. And then they'll start telling you. And I remember this one guy in Mississippi. He said, you know, I still want a drink. I still want a drink. And it's been 15 years since I've had one. And he said, but, but I want you to know, friends and loved ones that are there tonight at that meeting, that, that, that it's not like that old down deep hankering I had for a long time to control my life. What's he saying? Exactly what the scripture says. That if you will resist Satan, he will run from you. The second point that he says, that if you want peace is draw near to God. I, whatever is troubling you in your life, the only thing that I know that can really help you is to go to God with it. Isn't that right? I mean, go to God first. And then you can go to anybody else that you can. But make sure you go to God. Why? Because when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. And a lot of times when, when we're in a mess or in a fix, those are the times we think, well, I'm not going to church tonight. I can't go. I might cry. Well, come here and cry. Amen? Don't let the devil take you away. Come here and cry if you have to cry. You know? I mean... When Brother Paul's here, when he walks out, if you start talking to him much about his wife, he's going to start crying a little bit. Well, it's okay to cry here. Because if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And then finally, in verse 10, notice what he says. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. 
and he will lift you up. That's what the Christian life is all about. I mean, I don't think we're going to win the world by fighting wars. We got some people that have a lot of guns in church and they can shoot real good. But I don't think we're going to win the world by arming ourselves and deciding we're just going to kill all the evil people in the world. Well, I'll tell you why, because we ain't got enough guns or bullets. Isn't that right? Okay, how good a shot you are. Well, how are we going to win the war? Well, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and serve God and see if he can't make a way for great things to happen. What does God hate? He hates pride. He hates it in me. He hates it in you. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. Notice, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one sows discord among his brethren. Now, what's, what's the word? Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. You know, in Libya, is finally the story comes out about what happened there. I mean, somebody's going to write a great article about this. I wish it was me. I wish I could write. Some of you need to write it. When our embassy there, or whatever it was, was under attack, a few miles away in a safe house run by the CIA were two Navy SEALs. Listen, Navy SEALs know how to fight. Navy SEALs know how to kill. Navy SEALs know how to save people's lives. And when they ask if they could go and help, you know what their superiors told them? No. You know what they did? They went to hell. Why? Because that was their brethren. Because that was their brothers. You know, can anybody figure that out? We watched that whole series on a band of brothers. I, I, I think, you know, they died. They, they, they could have stayed where they were. They, could have, they, they know how to fit in. They could have just left the place and nobody would have known who they were. I, you know, I think about this. That cowards die many times before they're finally killed. But the valiant only taste of death but once. In the midst of a world that's so filled with evil, there are still so many great people and good people. Let's stand up for Jesus. Let's help each other. And let's try to save the world. Because the world is lost. And we are the only ones that have the message of God. Well, there's a war going on. It's a war that's going on in your heart. It's a war that's going on in the world. And we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus talked about soldiers. No wonder Paul talked about soldiers. And you know, it's not long we're going to honor our veterans. And it's amazing that if we would start thinking of ourselves more like soldiers of the cross, we would arise. And we would march into battle. And we would be an encouragement to one another. Well, I apologize for being so emotional, but a lot of things on my heart. Just like you in your life. But there's a lot of conflict. But we have the answer. We have the peace through Jesus Christ. So that surpasses understanding. If, you're, if you need to come to Jesus tonight, he's always there. And Jesus gives you peace. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you hope. And if you need him tonight in a special way, 
or any way. We encourage you to come while we stand and while we sing together. Are there any other announcements that need to be made before we're dismissed? If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's been left prepared for you. You can exit the auditorium and uh, exit to the right, and you'll be served. We're going to conclude with a song that's not in the song, but it's on the screen only. It's from the early 1900s, an Irish folk hymn, and it's called Be Thou My Vision. I'm not sure if you've heard it, but I learned it at Freed Hardeman in chapel, and it it also is just like one this morning. It, it's become one of my favorites. So we'll sing the song and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my buckler, my sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. 
Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, when victory is won, may I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Shall we pray? Again, Father, we're so thankful for the blessings you have bestowed upon us today. And thank you for all the things in life you've given us. Father, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus, who came and lived and died on a cruel cross. Father, we want to remember those that are mentioned here that are sick and help them be back with us the next point in time. Father, we especially want to remember those that be with the families of those lost loved ones over in Libya, Father, as they know where they were trying to protect our, themselves and protect our country, Father. And thank you for letting them give us examples that we can all abide by. Father, be with us as Christians. Help us be examples one to another. Forgive us for our sins. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.